Well, happy Easter, everybody. There we go. Welcome again to Park Community Church. If I don't know you, my name's Rafe. I'm the pastor here at Park South Loop. And man, is it good to be gathered together on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, what I'm going to do in just a moment is pray over our time in the Word. We're going to be in John chapter 11 today. So if you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. John chapter 11. If you're on your phones, that's going to be the fourth book in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you need a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand and I see Chris back there. She'll be able to drop it off to you. House Bibles looks like it's page 897, John chapter 11. Before I pray over our time in the Word, I want to make an important comment. Uh, it's Easter Sunday, and man, we are celebrating today. We're going to have a, we've already had a good time, and we got a whole service still to go. Well, part of a service still to go. Uh, but you know, around the world, it doesn't always happen quite this way. Uh, if you read your news this morning uh, in Sri Lanka today, there were bombs that went off at churches across the country, and many were killed and hurt. Um, and I, I just, I, I want to take a moment as a church here in Chicago to address that before I even dig into Easter's text for us this morning. The, the freedom we have in this space to be gathered together, for me to walk down the street wearing a suit like this and know that everyone who sees me knows I was probably at church on Easter Sunday this morning, right, wearing a, a suit on a Sunday morning. Uh, that is a freedom that not many of our brothers and sisters around the world have. And as we open the Word today and we celebrate and we sing songs of praise and celebration we have to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who literally give their entire life just for a speck of a chance to come together and worship like this. And also that many are hurting and in pain today. And so we want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in persecuted countries that they don't have the freedom like this to worship. But we also, I want to charge us today as Christians in Chicago. I want to charge us before we even open the word that this is unusual that we get to be in a place where we can just open up the Word of God and celebrate and sing like Jesus is coming back any second and not expect some form of persecution. This is unusual, and we want to be those who don't take that for granted in our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray over our time in the Word and for our brothers and sisters overseas. God, as we open your Word right now, we do so in reverence. God, we know that your word has the power to change our life. And so, God, we pray that you would do that. We pray that we would be marked differently because we came to church this Sunday morning. Because we came and sat underneath the authority of your word. And your spirit did what only your spirit can do. It changed us from who we are to who we're becoming. God, don't let us leave here unchanged. Change us. That's what we want. We want an encounter with the living God so that everything about our life changes. I pray that today. I pray the power of the Spirit in this room today. And God, we pray for our brothers and sisters overseas. God, our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, many of whom lost their lives this morning, only hours ago, many other family members who are reeling in the pain of that reality today. God, we pray for healing. We pray for your peace. We pray that your church does what your church does. As 2 Corinthians says, with the same comfort that we've been comforted with Christ, we now comfort others. God, would that church... Feel the love of prayers from around the world coming to support them and ultimately with the Holy Spirit who is the great Ezer, the great comforter, be near in their time of need, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Last Sunday, last Sunday morning, the news and the media were convinced they had seen a resurrection. 
Last Sunday, the news and the media were tracking a story, and they just didn't know it could happen, but they were convinced. If you read the news from last Sunday, everyone is convinced that they saw a resurrection. Some said the impossible happened. A man who was done. I mean done, done. There was no coming back. It was impossible. Not one person ever would have thought he would have come back from this. Last Sunday, he came back and won the Masters for a 15th time. If you've tracked it on the news, the language that they've been using to talk about Tiger Woods winning the Masters once again is theological language, might I say. It's the resurrection of Tiger Woods. In fact, many have said it's his redemption. If you've been tracking Tiger's career, you know he's been down and out for quite a while. He's had a number of issues that he's brought on himself. He's had back surgeries. He's been off the leaderboard for a long time. No one said it could be done. But the news has said they've seen a resurrection. Such theological language that we bring into our everyday experience, isn't it? We, we, we hijack terms that are reserved for very precious moments, and we use them to explain the world we see around us. As much as Tiger Woods has captured the media's attention, I deeply, deeply desire for us to have our attention caught by the greater and truer resurrection this Easter morning. I deeply desire for us to be so moved that Jesus and his resurrection would so capture our heart that we would leave this room today saying something happened. Easter Sunday, 2019, I'm not the same. It's it's not the same anymore. The resurrection changes everything, and it's changed me. I can't live the same as I did. I can't live the same as I used to. Maybe I can stir that kind of awe up in us this morning, this Easter Sunday morning. Now this Easter Sunday, we're going to be talking about this I am statement that Jesus had. We've gone through this series of I am statements. Jesus had seven of them in the book of John. And for the last seven weeks, we've been studying these seven I am statements from the Gospel of John. These are statements Jesus made about himself, who he was. And these are so important for us to study. Because if you go out into our culture today, there's any number of stories out there about who Jesus was and you know who people think he was. But if we're going to go back to the source, who did Jesus say he was? These are seven statements where Jesus clearly lays it out for us. This is who I am. And as with the number of the the I am statements that Jesus has, this one that we're going to study today comes on the back of another miracle. Jesus was a miracle worker, and, and a handful of times he did a miracle and then used the miracle to explain something about himself. So, for example, after he fed 5,000 people with just a couple loaves of bread and a few fish, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And the meaning, the significance of that is that Jesus is more important to our sustenance. He's more important to our being than food itself. That we could starve ourselves if we're not engaging with Jesus spiritually. He is more important to our life than bread. Later, Jesus healed a man that was born blind. He came afterwards, he said, I am the light of the world. The meaning, the implication, the clear implication there is that you can't see the world clearly without Jesus. If you never submitted to the Lordship of Christ, we only a blurry vision of what reality is. But when you accept Christ, you see light as it really is. You see God as he's actually created things to be. Today, Jesus performs another miracle. In fact, what some would say outside of the resurrection, the greatest miracle Jesus performs. He raises a man from the dead, a man named Lazarus. And on the heels of that, Jesus has this statement where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I don't know about you, but 
not many people can get away with saying, I am the resurrection and the life, right? I don't know, if someone were to say that today, we probably would lock them up in an insane asylum, rightfully so, because that person wouldn't be the resurrection and the life. But Jesus makes this statement right on the heels, right at the same time as he raises someone from the dead and claims the authority to be able to say it. And I want to understand what this means for us today. The clear teaching this Easter Sunday is that those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will never die, but will live for eternity with Christ. I want you to hear that. Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ literally will never die, but will live for eternity with Christ. Jesus is the resurrection and life. Now, let's try to dig into this passage. It's most of, the chapter, most of chapter 11 of the book of John, but let's see what we can dig into. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, begins this way. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, let's pause there. I don't know if you saw, but there's a whole lot of love going on in that short passage. It tells us that Jesus loves Lazarus. It tells us that Jesus loves Mary and that Jesus loves Martha. This is very significant. Jesus, in his earthly life, had formed these meaningful, powerful relationships. And the term love there is this agape love. It's the love that God has for us. Jesus has this amazing, deep, deep love for this family. This was a family, a sibling family, that had hosted Jesus many times and that they had grown this relationship over the years. And Lazarus is now sick and dying. But did you notice the peculiarity of verses 5 and 6? Let me read that to you again. Now Jesus loved Martha and Mary, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's so interesting, isn't it? Jesus loved them so much, so he waited two days, even though he knew Lazarus was sick. Did you catch that detail? He loved them so much that he didn't race to them, but he actually waited. What kind of love is this? See, Lazarus dies in the meantime. And Jesus knows that's about to happen. But Jesus loves Mary and Martha so much that he permits death to come over Lazarus. Keep in mind, Mary and Martha are her sisters. You can imagine the the pain that they're going through in this moment. Jesus' love for them is so much that he waits. What kind of love is this? To understand this paradox, we've got to look at verse 4 and understand what it means. Look with me, verse 4. This illness, Jesus says, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. You see, I don't know about you. If someone was sick that I loved deeply, and I had the medicine for them, I would race to them, right? I would want to get to them as quickly as I could, because I want to take care of their physical body as well as I can. But here, Jesus actually has a bigger vision in mind than simply caring for their immediate physical needs, 
Jesus has this vision. He says, this is what your life is ultimately about, Mary and Martha. I want your life to be set for the glory of God. I want you to live your life in such a way that your posture, everything about you, is so in awe of God's glory and the glory of the Son that you will do anything that God asks you to do because God is worth everything. He is glorified above all. That's how much I love you, Mary and Martha. And so I'm going to wait two days. I'm going to allow Lazarus to die. I'm going to permit that because I know that in waiting two days, I can accomplish that kind of glory in your life, that kind of posture in you, Mary and Martha. You know, if God's desire in our life is for our souls to be aligned in such a way that we bring God glory in everything we do, that's how much his love is for us. See, he loved Mary and Martha even more than they loved Lazarus. That's infinitely more than they loved Lazarus. He loved them that much that he was allowing pain to come into their life. I get to be a pastor and I get to walk alongside many of you in the pain of life. And this Easter Sunday, it's very easy to come in looking our best with a smile on our face and have a day where we just look and and we try to make everything okay for a day. But that's not the point of the resurrection. The resurrection is not that it's just done away with all the physical harm and challenges we go through in this life. And when you come in here today, I want you to hear this very clearly from me. I know the pain that many of us are going through. I'm going through it too. I have hard stuff in my life I'm working through right now. Tough things within my family, with people I care about deeply. And I know that sometimes God waits two days, doesn't he? Some days, sometimes God just waits two days in the midst of that pain, waits two days because he knows that in the waiting of that two days, he can accomplish something in my life. He can bring me a new posture where I want to bring glory to God in the midst of everything. See, God will stop at nothing to get that in your life. If you're in here today and you haven't experienced that kind of awe of God, maybe God's waiting two days in your life. Maybe he's just holding back because he's waiting for you to bow your knee in such a way that says, I live everything to lift up glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But God is not capricious in this. As I say that, it can feel like God's just off at a distance. He actually moves towards us in our brokenness. This is so important in this passage. Before we even get to the resurrection part, look at how he deals with Mary. Jump with me to John chapter 11, verse 32. Now when Mary, Jesus arrives at Bethany at this point, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest sentence in the entire New Testament. Two words. Jesus wept. And it means everything to me sometimes. In the midst of their brokenness, this is a highly emotional scene. The, the, the sisters have just lost their son, he's, or their, their brother. He's died and he's dead. He's been laid in a tomb and they're going through the emotional grief that comes alongside with that. And they're weeping. That's the picture. They're not only weeping, but they got crowds around them who are weeping as well. This is a highly emotional scene. And the text tells us that Jesus was deeply moved, deeply moved and greatly troubled. 
These words are so important, deeply moved. That language, actually, the word behind that English translation, that's what Jesus is used when Jesus gives a stern rebuke to somebody. Like when he, when he just, anger builds up inside of him and he rebukes somebody, that's rebuking language. That's what's happening inside of Jesus at this moment when he's in the midst of the pain and the weeping that Mary's going through. He's got this anger and, and grief over what's happening. And then it says he's greatly troubled in the spirit. That word greatly troubled, it's used of when a rock is thrown into a calm bit of water and it, it stirs the water up into ripples. You can imagine just the emotional ripples. You've felt that before, haven't you? When it just feels like the world's exploding around you. Jesus just bursting. And then it says he wept. And a good translation of that in light of the context of the passage is that he burst into tears. He burst into tears. You guys know that kind of cry, don't you? You know what that's like to have one of those cries. See, Jesus does not stand back at a distance in our pain. Though he waits two days, he also knows your pain and he embraces you in the midst of it. And those who have accepted Christ, who, who have experienced that kind of comfort, they can say amen to this passage. They can say, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be in that kind of pain that I just want to break down crying but to also know that something's different. This isn't crying without Christ anymore. Now when I weep and when I'm in the midst of my brokenness and I'm wondering where Jesus is in the midst of it, he's my comforter. He's my sustainer. He leads me in the midst of it. See, Jesus wants to develop this in you this morning. He wants you to see this in the midst of this passage. He's not just off at a distance doing miracles. He's embracing those who are broken and in need of embracing. Now let's look at what happens in this conversation with Martha. Lazarus, we're told, has been dead for four days. Now that's the Bible's way of saying he was dead, okay? He was dead dead. This guy was dead as dead can be. In Jewish tradition, once somebody had been dead for three days, that was as dead as they could be. There was no more possibility for life to come in. That's one of the reasons that it's so important in history that Jesus was dead for three days. There was no resuscitation that could have been. He was dead. Lazarus was dead dead. I mean, to be clear, his body was decomposing. They had laid him in a tomb. This man was dead. Martha comes up to him, chapter 11, verse 20 says this, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, just like her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Can't you just hear the hope in her? I, 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 Jesus, why are you here? You can just kind of hear, see her kind of looking up at Jesus. Huh? I know you could ask for something, Jesus. I believe. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now let's pause there for a second. Martha's a very smart woman. She studied her Bible and what she's making is this theological statement right here. She's saying, I know that Lazarus is going to raise from the dead on the last day. Now I want to be very clear with each of us. Martha's theologically correct here. She's 100% right. There is coming a day when every person who has died will be raised to life. We will be raised to life. And the first person we're going to see when we get there is Jesus. That's the first thing we're going to see when we open our eyes on the other side of death. And Martha is sitting there saying, Jesus, I know that day is coming. There is coming a day when all will be set right. And there's a future resurrection with future bodies. I know that. But you can almost hear in her, 
in her soul the grief of the moment. As if, I know that, but there's just pain here right now, Jesus. Jesus looks at her in the midst of that, and he has this incredible statement, what might be one of the most remarkable statements in the entire New Testament that Jesus says. Verse 25, Jesus then says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am that resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha says to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus is looking at Martha in this moment, and he's saying, Martha, you have all of your hope pinned towards this future day, and you are right to do that, Martha. That is going to be a glorious day unlike any other day. You are right to look that way. But Martha, I want you to know one thing. That day revolves around me. Everything that day is about in heaven is where God is most glorified through the Son as he is the centerpiece of all heaven. It's all about me and Martha, I'm here with you right now. Heaven has invaded earth and has come in the person of Jesus and is standing right in front of you. Martha, do you believe that? Martha looks at him and says, yes. I believe that. I want to ask you, church, this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that heaven invaded earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, God in the flesh, the one whom all heaven will rotate around, the one whom will totally satisfy our hearts for all of eternity, unlike anybody or anything else could, do you believe that he came down, that he lived, and that he was the one that was standing in front of Martha on that day? Yeah, Martha believed it. Martha believed, I hear you whispering, yes. You want to shout it. You can shout it if you want to. Yes, right there, I got a yes. I believe, says Martha. And Jesus basically says, well, let's go take care of business then. (laughs) Let's follow what happens. Chapter 11, verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Notice that language. He's still deeply moved. This whole situation, he's broken. Came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Oh, I love that language. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I told you, he was dead dead. This guy was dead, right? There will be an odor. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. Notice, Jesus never performs a miracle just to show off. It's always so that we might believe. That's why he performed the miracle, so you and I would have no excuse to know that the Son of God in heaven showed up in Jesus Christ, that they might believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Three words, ready for it? Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. They rolled the stone away. They rolled the stone away. Three words, Jesus says. It says he cried out, Lazarus, come out. That language cried out, that's a battle cry language. That's like he snorted. I want you to understand what he's doing in this moment. Jesus is going to battle with death in that moment. 
But it's not really a battle, is it? Because it just takes three words from Jesus. He goes to battle with death, but it's not a battle. He just authoritatively claims what will be. Death, you're defeated. End of story. It's not a battle. It's done. Lazarus, get up and walk out of the tomb. And a dead man came to life. Lazarus walked out of the grave. Do you believe that happened? Oh, amen. Lazarus rose from the grave. This was no battle. What's going on in this passage? The king of kings is breathing life into a dead man. And he's breathing again. Lazarus is a preview of what Jesus is about to accomplish. It's a trailer of what's just about to happen to Jesus himself. Jesus is making sure everyone around him knows I'm the one that holds the keys to death. It's me. It's all about me. I unlock it. I'm the one who has all authority to claim who lives and who dies. I have that authority, and I raise who I will raise. Jesus is giving a trailer so that we will all believe. It's a picture of what was about to happen to himself. You see, Jesus himself was about to die. But unlike Lazarus, unlike Lazarus who died unwillingly, he was still a young man when he died. See, see, Lazarus wasn't expecting to die, and much of the grief we see in this passage is because his sisters weren't expecting him to die either. He unwillingly went to his death, but Jesus willingly picked up his cross, didn't he? Jesus willingly saw the cross that was before him, and he went, he marched, in fact, towards his death because that was the mission that God had given him. He, he, had, he had this mission that he was going to go die a death on a cross for a reason, it wasn't a reasonless death. It wasn't just a martyr's death for a great belief. He had a purpose to fulfill in marching towards that cross. And I want to be fundamentally clear with us here this Easter morning. I want you to know exactly why he died on the cross. The, the word of God tells us that there is a wrath that is due you and I as a result of our sin. Now let's get around our, some of that language that we just used there. What is sin? See, sin's a Bible term, and in our day and age, we don't like to use that terminology all that much, but here's what it means. Everything you think is wrong with the world today starts with sin. It's not someone else's issue. It's not the politicians. It's not someone else somewhere who's doing something wrong. It's you and I who have broken God's commands. God has this perfect vision for our life. If you want to live a life that's totally satisfying to you and meaningful in the way I created you, a life to come alive. Here's my blueprint, says God. You do this and you'll live. You'll have life to the full. And yet we sin. We choose our own way. We, we, we try to go any way and try to find a satisfying way to live life. We got a better plan than God, we say. God, God was mostly right. But we'll just add a little bit here to his word. And we'll go about life our own way. That's each of our stories. And scripture says that when we go our own way, that's sin. And the consequence of that is death. What that means is that spiritually you and I are dead men and women when it comes to our relationship with God. There's no relationship there. It's been hindered because of our sin and rebellion from God. And God, looking down on a sinful humanity, does what only God can do. He sends what is called a propitiation. I want you to know that word as a Christian. Such an important word. Romans chapter 3 says Jesus is a propitiation. As he hangs on the cross, what's happening in that moment is all of the wrath of God, all of the anger towards sin in this world is poured out on one man's shoulders rather than on all of us. He takes our place at the cross where we belong and he absorbs the wrath of God. See, Jesus went willingly to that place where he would take our place on the cross and he died. 
Now just let that sit there for a second. The king of kings, heaven, shows up and we crucified him. I don't think we can grasp that, can we? The king of kings, the one who sustains the universe, showed up. He lived among us exactly what we would expect God to live like if he were to show up. I mean, if God were to show up, wouldn't it look a lot like Jesus? Isn't that the same? That wouldn't, isn't that exactly what you'd expect? It would look just like Jesus. He shows up and we crucified him. And for three days, death was fooled into thinking that it had won. That it had claimed victory once again. Death was fooled into thinking that, that death would be the end of the story. Death was fooled into thinking that the final footnote over all creation was just darkness. That the king had died. That death would have the final word. That the cosmic arc of the story of God and his people would end in the darkness and the gloom of death. Oh, but on Easter Sunday, we proclaim a different story, don't we? Because three days later, another stone was rolled away, wasn't it? Three days later, another stone was rolled away. Three days later, another man would leave behind his burial cloths. Three days later, death would be taunted again. Three days later, Jesus walked out of that tomb alive, but not with the residue of death still on him. See, he left his burial cloths behind. When Jesus rose from the grave, it was a full resurrection with not a hint of death remaining. Jesus defeated death fully, once and for all. Jesus says, I want you to have that life. I want you to have that resurrection. That's why I went to the cross for you, that you would be able to live in that resurrection for me. Jesus says, do you believe it, Martha? Do you believe it, church? See, we can acknowledge the resurrection, but the phrase that Jesus actually has to Martha is twofold, isn't it? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. See, just like Martha, we can be fooled into thinking that the resurrection is simply a future thing. I want to be utterly clear. It is a future thing. We will rise with a glorified body and we will live in eternity with Jesus in heaven. It will be perfect. But that life also starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It starts the moment you put your faith in Christ. You are given an entire new nature. Everything about who you were, your posture was over here. Then it gets aligned towards God. And you begin living a life for the glory of God. And just like Martha, we begin to throw up all the excuses. But he's been dead for four days. It's going to stink. Right? We begin to throw up all the excuses of how we couldn't change. How resurrection power means nothing for us until the future. No, Jesus says, I want you to have life to the full. I want you to have resurrection power in your life here and now. That means there's no area of your life that is immune to God's resurrection. Look, Lazarus was dead. If he can bring him back to life, what can he do in your life? What's broken in your life right now? I, we need to understand this as New Testament Christians. So often we live as Christians by title, but living as if we're still Old Testament saints and the resurrection hasn't happened yet. Jesus defeated death and then he puts that power inside of you. So not only will you defeat death, meaning you'll wake up in heaven one day on the day that you die and we will all die and face that death one day. Not only will that happen, but you get resurrection power now. <laughs> what this means is that there is nothing that can hinder you from being a changed person each and every day, coming to know God and bringing glory to God. And God will stop at nothing to see that happen. You can say, but I'm too old. 
I'm too old to change. I've been in my ways for far too long. Just like Martha saying, but it stinks in there, Jesus. (laughs) You're never too old to learn how to pray ferociously over somebody, to pray the kingdom of God into somebody's life, to see them so changed that they could never go back to the kind of life they were living. You're never too old for that. You're never too old, and that's life. Let me tell you, praying over someone that way, oh, that's the life I want. That's what you were made for, too. It's good. That's what we were made for. And some of you say, I'm too young. I got too much life to live. I want to explore. Can I tell you what? That's not life. If you think that there is a fun life to be had outside of Christ, you missed what he just said because he says he's the resurrection and the life. There's no years of going away and thinking you're going to have more fun outside of Christ. The full life of what we were made for is found only in Jesus Christ. Everything else is just a half-life that only leads to death. Anyone who's lived a couple years can tell you that. You take your eyes off God, you're just going to gather up a handful of scars. Jesus gives us life. And can I tell you this? Lazarus is your story. I don't want you to miss this most important thing. Lazarus was a historical man. The next thing that happens in the gospel is that everyone gets angry and wants to kill Lazarus because he's giving testimony about the power of Jesus. They want to kill Lazarus now, not just Jesus, because a dead man's walking around saying, look, I was dead, and I'm alive. What do you want me to do? Right? And so they try to go after him. Lazarus is your story. You were dead. You were spiritually dead. You had no relationship with God. You were on your own, cut off from the blessings of God. And then Jesus, in three words, Lazarus, come out, and he spoke life into you. That's my story. Rafe, come out. I was 18 years old. Rafe, come out, and I came to life. I had never been in life before, and then all of a sudden, I experienced life, the resurrected life. Ashley, come out. Brad, come out. That's what Jesus did in your life. If you're a follower of Christ this Easter morning, Lazarus is your story. He brought you to life with three words because he has that authority. He doesn't need a lifetime to do it. He just says it, and it happens. Oh, that's Easter Sunday. I want to invite you this morning, just like Jesus asked Martha, do you believe Do you believe? See, you've got to make Jesus your Lord. If you walk out of here and say, I went to a good church service, it was really great, and then Monday morning you're not bowing your knee to Jesus, you missed it. Totally missed it. He wants lordship from you, and he'll stop at nothing. He'll let Lazarus go two days until he gets lordship. And you don't want that two days to wait in your life because it hurts. Accept Jesus. Believe in him. Let this be that Easter morning that you never look back. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Woo! it is good to praise you this morning, Lord. God, we celebrate the resurrection this morning. I pray for new life in this room now. I do. I believe you can do that right now. I believe there are those in this room as we speak that have never truly made Jesus Lord, and you're calling them now. And so would you have your way. Let this be the day. Easter 2019, life was given to people. God, would you change all of us? We praise you. You are worthy. Amen.